This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. This hour, we're going to be joined by Rich Lowry of the National Review. Uh, he is talking about uh, what is going on with race in America, as well as Congressman Michael Walt, House Armed Services Committee, who's relentlessly trying to get Americans out of Afghanistan, a place where he fought and sacrificed himself and has not stopped ever since. Uh, meanwhile, we have a lot to discuss today because so many events are taking place. Meanwhile, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. These were heroes who sent you work as they died, and now we're going to fire them? Mr. Mayor, sit no. down. Figure out how to compromise with their union leaders. But oh no, he's like Michael Corleone. He's only got a few weeks left. He's going to settle all scores on the way out. Curtis Sliwa, he wants to be the next mayor of New York City. Thousands of New York City employees continue to protest Mayor de Blasio's vaccine mandate. His response, get vaccinated or get fired. Meanwhile, an FDA panel of advisors voted 17-0 to authorize the Pfizer vaccine for children 5 to 11. That shot awaits approval by the FDA and the CDC. How soon to get your kid vaccinated or they're kicked out of school? Number two. There's a possibility that if Speaker Pelosi went ahead with that vote on the infrastructure bill, even if some Democrats didn't vote for it, that some Republicans might. I was listening to a Republican source last night who said there was actually significant Republican support for that infrastructure bill as long as it's not tied to the reconciliation bill. No deal. As hope fades for the Dems and rises for me and maybe you as a Democrat social spending palooza hits uh, some trouble. The hurdles and the roadblocks that have the left wondering how much more they have to sacrifice for two immovable moderates. Number one. I called for a full investigation of the Loudoun County School Board because they're not standing up for children's safety. And this is actually turning Loudoun County our direction, but not just Loudoun County. All of Northern Virginia. You watch. We're going to do better in Northern Virginia than any Republican has done in a long time. And we just might win Loudoun County. That would be amazing because they uh, because Donald Trump lost it by 20 plus points. The epic final lap. Now, four straight polls say it's a dead heat between Glenn Youngkin, who you just heard, and Terry McAuliffe in the battle for the governor's of Virginia race. A Youngkin slim win will let the GOP know they are beginning to make gains in the suburbs where there were protests everywhere on the school curricul curriculum and other outrageous policies. Now, you may think after hearing so much about Loudoun County, if you didn't grow up in Virginia and were lucky enough to have some great stations in Charlottesville as well as Virginia Beach, uh, that you would think, oh, that's pretty much a Republican state or oh, it's Republican County. No, it's not. Loudoun County, Donald Trump lost by 25. In Fairfax County, Donald Trump lost by 50. In Prince William County, he lost by about 27. If he's, they're going to make claims. If Glenn Youngkin's going to do what Ed Gillespie could not do and Ken Cuccinelli almost did, he has got to find a way to at least creep up in those very Democratic districts that turned that state blue. A bad sign for Republicans on the surface is there are 667,000 early votes. That's three and a half times more than there were in 2017. 
the conventional wisdom is people, Democrats usually vote early. Most uh, Republicans vote on Election Day. But we will see. When asked what, how this race is going, according to USA Today Suffolk University poll, 45.6% for McAuliffe, Yunkin 45.2%. Man, number one issue, should parents or school boards have more of an influence on a school's curriculum? 50% say parents. School boards, 39%. Undecided, 11 Which of the following issues matters most as you decide to vote for governor? Number one, the economy. Number two, education. Number three, health care. 40-23-17. That according, uh, that's according to, and taxes, 9%. If it comes down to the economy, you have to wonder if anybody with a sober mind can look up and say, Joe Biden's got a hold of this because he doesn't. Joining us now, Congressman Michael Waltz. Congressman, uh, are, do you care about this race uh, nationally, or should we just focus on what this means for Virginia? No, absolutely, I care about it nationally. And thanks for having me on, Brian. Yeah, I went to the Virginia Military Institute, so I feel like I uh, know Virginia pretty well. And it used to be kind of the escape valve for all of the bad liberal policies you saw in Washington, D.C., and you saw in Maryland. And, you know, people would, would escape the, the high taxes, the high crime, and all the things that come uh, with the left uh, horrible policies into Virginia. Virginia flipped uh, uh, just a, a few cycles ago. But I think what you're seeing there is what you're seeing uh, across the nation, that people are seeing these policies for what they are, free. That four-letter word sells <laughs> really well. Uh, but as we all know, you know, the problem with socialism is you eventually run out of other, other people's money. And uh, so I think there's a broader movement afoot that Virginia exemplifies, aside from the fact of, look, Ryan, there are two silver linings in COVID. Uh, one was we saw that our supply chains matter and having them dependent on China matters. And number two, parents saw the garbage that uh, people have been slipping into these school curriculums firsthand. And you're seeing you're seeing a, you know, a grassroots revolt. Uh, and, and we'll see how it goes on Tuesday. And on free is also the mandates. And look, we got I got vaccinated. Uh, I don't know if you did. But if you look at the stats in Florida, there's a lot. The vaccination rates are high, but they're not perfect. And if you're in, uh, if those stats were put transposed into New York City, anyone not vaccinated would be fired from a government job or a government contracting job on November first. We're going to lose a third of our police force, a, th- a quarter of our police force, uh, let alone the medical workers that have already been fired, school teachers right. that have been told to stay home. Uh, they say that in New Jersey, after the election, Governor Murphy's going to do the same thing. We hear it about in Chicago. Uh, this this is really resonating, goes past party lines, doesn't it? No, it, it, it absolutely does. And I think just a lot of this is where you're seeing the movement and in independence uh, and even some moderate Democrats. It's just kind of, you know, what happened to common sense, right? I mean, and what you're seeing, uh, particularly in the first responder space and in the hospital space is, you know, a year and a half into this, most of those you know, workers that we used to call heroes, the left used to call heroes, already had COVID. They already have the natural antibodies. And why, for the life of me, I can't get any Democrat that I know to explain to me why natural antibodies they don't isn't know. part of this equation, right? They can't get I, not a single not a single answer. But now we have situations where, like in Massachusetts. They've had to mobilize the National Guard to drive school buses because they let the the bus drivers go because of vaccine mandates on top of on top of 
paying them to stay home, federal unemployment stimulus, all of the other stimuluses. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's just bad policy on top of bad policy, and people are saying enough. And I can't believe we've had this much. Uh, uh, bad policy in just 10 months. I just, I'm just i going to get to foreign policy in a second, but I just want to talk about what's sure. happening with the spending palooza, the reconciliation. I'm just going to throw this out yeah. for the audience. Uh, Bernie Sanders, uh, the socialist, he is doubling down on the need for Medicare benefits and a spending package. Uh, Manchin, the so-called moderate, said, I will not do that to Medicare, which is going to go bankrupt in uh, 2026. We can't afford to put yeah. uh, eyewear, vision, and dental and hearing into that. It's not going to work. Okay, when it comes to the billionaire's tax, Senator Sinema says, all right, I'll maybe accept that. And Senator Manchin says, doesn't sound right to me. When it comes to the IRS, they say that's the way we recover some of this money to pay for our multi-trillion dollar package. What Joe Manchin just said is, I'm not into spending billions of dollars to mobilize the IRS. That doesn't seem fair to me. And we know about the clean energy agenda of $275 billion that Manchin won't sign on to. He says we're in a manager, uh, an energy crunch. You know what's missing from this conversation? Any Republican... I'm watching these Democrats wrestle over this bill. They were supposed to have this done in the spring, then the summer, then the fall, then September. And now here we are coming up on November. Can you bring me inside Washington? Can you add anything to this story? (laughs) Well, you know, the sad thing is, is if they had brought in Republicans to an infrastructure, hard infrastructure deal, roads, bridges, ports, uh, you know, 5G, telecommunications, we would have had a deal and there would be shovels in the ground already. We, we, that would have happened in the spring. The progressives wouldn't have voted for it. And maybe some super, uh, you know, a lot of fiscally conservative, super fiscally conservative uh, on the right would have voted for it. But the vast majority would have, and we would have already had an infrastructure deal. So what happened to bipartisan Joe? Uh, Republicans were shut out from the very beginning. And as soon as Pelosi and Biden linked the socialist, uh, I don't like calling it reconciliation because that's a bland name, that they've uh, that they're using. It's a socialist spending spree to the infrastructure deal. It's like an anchor that's weighted the thing down. But finally, Brian, this is a point that we need to break through. Manchin is right. This package will bankrupt Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security as it exists because it's already on a path to bankruptcy. It was supposed to go upside down by 2030 with all of the COVID spending. That estimate has moved up now in just four years. That entire program, all of those entitlement programs are due to go bankrupt, and yet Bernie Sanders wants to load more on top of that. Uh, And and it's just totally irresponsible for our senior citizens uh, and for so many people that rely on those those benefits. Right. He doesn't know how to balance a checkbook. Socialists never do. Congressman. Never had to. I I want you to hear what Colin (laughs) Cowell said yesterday, Undersecretary of Defense for Policy, on what's happening in Afghanistan and what it means for us. Cut 21. I think the assessment depends on... uh which group we're talking about. I think the intelligence community currently assesses that both ISIS-K and al-Qaeda have the intent to conduct external operations, including against the United States, uh, but neither currently has the capability to do so. We could see ISIS-K generate that capability in somewhere between six or 12 months. Uh, I think the current assessments by the intelligence community is that al-Qaeda would take a year or two to reconstitute that capability. And as you said in your opening, Senator, we have to remain vigilant against that possibility. Yeah, vigilant. Does that sound good? Sound like a good move? Does that sound accurate? Yeah. You know, Brian, I rarely say this about someone, but this guy who's the number three official in the Pentagon is a pompous academic. He doesn't have a speck of dirt under his fingernails. Uh, he's been with Biden uh, for years. 
Uh, and uh, we, I can tell you briefing after briefing, the intelligence community has been clear that Al-Qaeda fully intends to reconstitute and attack us again. ISIS fully, it's, uh, fully intends to do the same. It's not a matter of if, but just when. But here's the lie that Biden and his entire team has been selling, and I've talked to you about. When we had to go back and do this when we pulled out of Iraq uh, in 2011, and then we had ISIS caliphate by 2014, we had to go back to deal with it. We have access from the ocean and Syria and Iraq. We have Israel and Turkey right. and Jordan and bases and the Kurds. In Afghanistan, we have none of that. I don't know how we go back and uh, hit these groups without a full-blown reinvasion of, of Afghanistan because we have nothing in the region, nothing. Well, uh, it's, and we're on a road to another uh, 9-11. 430, and, uh, and it has me furious. 430-plus Americans still there? Uh, at least, Brian. I mean, I'm in touch with these veterans groups. We're helping them every which way we can. They just got another plane load out uh, yesterday. So it's um, it, it's just un-American to leave fellow citizens behind, and that's exactly what they did. And they let and they're letting terrorists dictate the terms of who can stay and who can go. It's unbelievable. Well, I understand. Also, we don't know who's here, but we know some of these are bad actors. And now the State Department is planning on private foundations to pay for Afghanistan's, uh, I guess, melding into American society. They're not even writing the checks. Yeah, they're going to rely on various uh, various charities uh, and other organizations to reintegrate. I want to be like, you know, I know this isn't probably popular to say, uh, but the vast, vast majority of these Afghans were family members or people who stood with us and fought with us. That said, it only takes one to slip through. Uh, and, and we keep pounding on both the military and the Department of Homeland Security to make sure they have the appropriate vetting in place. But I'm far more worried about our southern border, where there is zero vetting and hundreds of thousands pouring through, and we have no clue who they are. How soon to the Taliban, since we froze their funds and they brought the poorest nation on the planet, and people are literally starving to death while other terror groups are blowing them up, do they start using the yep. Americans as pawns and hostages? Yeah, right now, I mean, I'm waiting for that shoe to drop because they want access to those funds, and they know the Biden administration just loves to give money away to terrorists. They did it with Iran. Uh, so... Right now, I'm waiting for that other shoe to drop, but, uh, you know, I think uh, pretty soon they're going to start taking them explicitly. Right now, it's, it's, it's implied, it's indirect uh, as, as hostages, but they're going to start putting them in orange jumpsuits uh, and, and, and killing Americans. If not the Taliban, then it'll be ISIS or then it'll be al-Qaeda. Uh, uh, and that's why I'm working with these veterans yeah. groups to get them out. You know, they're stepping up, Brian. Th these people have quit their jobs, exhausted their savings. But they're not going to leave fellow Americans behind. They're doing the government's job for them. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's amazing, too, because I'm seeing Heather Nauert's tweet last night saying mostly the DOD and State Department have uh, led private groups do the financing. They're not doing it. It's unbelievable. No. They left us with this yeah, calamity. They embarrassed yeah, us. And now private industry has to go save people that they say weren't there. <laughs> yeah. Right. That they said, um, you know, didn't want to leave. Somehow they've categorized whole, all these hundreds of Americans and their families as not wanting to leave. It's it's just a lie and it's disgraceful. Go get them. Uh, Congressman is not stopping. Congressman Michael Waltz never takes a day off uh, even to get married. Uh, he is always at work. <laughs> uh, Congressman, thanks so much. 
Hey, hey, thanks, Brian. And yeah, my, my wife appreciates that. Appreciate <laughs> uh, we're going to take your calls next. Uh, thanks, Congressman. Back to work. Meanwhile, Rich Larry at the bottom of the arrow, one 408 So much more to discuss. So glad you're here. It's Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com slash path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com slash path. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Welcome back, everybody. one 408 7669 A lot going on there. Obviously, it could be on with Michael Waltz forever. But let me just get you an understanding because this is going to affect all your lives. Uh, they were talking about a $3.5 trillion spending palooza, which would be all financing these left-wing programs. And then when Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema seemed to be intractable on certain items, they, they folded their cards and they said, see you on Halloween. Well, here comes Halloween. The president goes to Glasgow, wants to talk about his clean energy package. Standing in his way is Joe Manchin. We're in the middle of an energy crisis, he says. I'm from a coal state. Why would we collapse uh, fossil fuels when we're not ready to make the transition yet? Plus, you got to see in China, I'm watching the BBC. This is my words, not his. I'm watching the BBC. They're having a coal convention. New innovative ways to mine coal. We're getting rid of it. We're not using it. They are doing it to fuel their huge economic revival after poisoning the world through their pandemic. Next, when it comes to Medicare expansion, Bernie Sanders says, if I can't expand it with vision and uh, everything else, I will not sign off on this bill. Joe Manchin came back and said, excuse me, uh, Medicare goes belly up 2026. I'm not signing off on this. Kirsten Cinema won't sign off on uh, increasing corporate taxes. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. All right. And then she says, I'm okay with the billionaire's tax. Okay. 
You know who isn't? Joe Manchin. He was asked yesterday in, on some uh, virtual conference, what do you think of the billionaire's tax? Bad idea. Okay. Well, they're gonna, one way to get revenue to balance off the $2 trillion is to militarize and fully finance and quadruple the size of the IRS. Joe Manchin goes, that's a dumb idea. I'm not signing off on that. Do you realize I'm giving you the play-by-play of just Democrats? They cannot get on the same page. So they have this signature package that is coming out on an economy that they think needs their socialistic, more equitable way of financing, and their own party can't agree on what should be in the package. They've had six months to get this done, and they are diametrically different. Meanwhile, Joe Manchin said, I think we'll get a framework. But what kind of framework could actually be worth the paper it's printed on when you don't agree on the framework that's inside? Just certain things, not much. We really don't need it because inflation's going through the roof. And as one economic aide to President Obama said, the biggest mistake was the $1.9 trillion. This would be the second biggest. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. The larger issue for President Biden uh, and the Democrats is he is going to Glasgow this coming weekend for a global climate change conference and wants to have a victory in hand because a big chunk uh, of both of those bills has to do with climate change. And if he arrives there without a deal and without something that he can show the rest of the world this is what the United States is doing, it will undermine him on the, on the world stage. That is Jeff Mason of the Associated Press on special report of Reuters, I should say, on, uh, on Reuters, just reporting that, you know, don't let anyone spin you. The White House wants this done, this clean energy package done within the $3.5 trillion. not getting 3.5. And Joe Manchin has stopped the clean energy package. Not all of it. I look forward to the details in it, but a lot of it. Rich Lowry with us now, editor of the National Review, author of The Case for Nationalism. And his latest column is The Rationality is Not a White Male Thing. Rich, so appropriate. First off, on the trajectory of this package, we've seen debated on some level since the spring. Where are we at now? I kind of think they're, they're eventually here they're going to get something they can call a, a deal or a headline a, agreement, whether how meaningful it is remains to be seen, but the, the clock is not in their favor. You know, if Terry McAuliffe loses in Virginia, which is quite possible, I would say uh, I, I favor Yunkin in that race now, although it's basically a, a toss-up, but you're going to see a panic. You're going to see a panic among House Democrats. You're going to see Democrats scattering for their lives, and it's going to make it much harder to get this this through. So I don't know why Democrats didn't just from the beginning pass the bipartisan infrastructure bill, give Biden a victory. Well, you know why. Garden ceremony with some Republican senators there and and then deal with realize, you know, reconciliation is going to be a a whole more difficult deal. But because progressives insisted, you know, they're trying they've joined the two together and held the infrastructure hostage to the reconciliation. It's just not clear what's happening with the reconciliation. Well, you know, you just brought it up. So he's got an extreme left wing. We thought they were extreme. Maybe they're mainstream with the Democratic Party. And instead of Joe Manchin acting like Joe, Joe Biden, acting like Joe Manchin is, he said, well, yeah, I side with these guys. I'll, I'll, the day that he got the $1.2 trillion bipartisan deal with 19 Republican senators and many people, we thought we were debating whether 19 senators, uh, Republican senators should be going along with that. It's, it's such an old news story now. 
He says, I won't do one without the other. He blew up his own bipartisan message the day it passed. So yeah, right away he was that, he was scared of his left. Said, no, I, I don't really mean that. And and then, and then he you know he's been back and forth on it, and they, they've ended up joined together. And this is of course this is at the root of most of what's gone wrong with with Biden here. Is in the election you would have thought, oh, this is a Democrat who push comes to shoves could be more like Joe Manchin, right? I, I'm not a huge Joe Manchin fan, but he's better than AOC. But instead he's been with the progressives. And in fact, the, the last time they they had a, a deadline to get this done, there was reporting that the White House was encouraging progressives to block the infrastructure bill, block their own bipartisan bill. So you, know, you put the border in Afghanistan and the economic disruptions on top of that, and you have a president in deep trouble, and you have a president in the mid-40s and maybe going lo- lower. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll get you to the X's and O's of it. Joe Manchin came out and was asked um, uh, about this IRS thing. You are putting all this money into the IRS. He says, uh, snooping uh, the IRS, he's not for that. Number two is that whole having uh, being able to track if you have as much as $600 in your bank account. He says, I won't be in that. I won't be in the final bill. I won't sign off on that. Senator Bernie Sanders doubles down. He says, I need Medicare benefits in the spending package. Bottom line is that in the reconciliation package, it must include negotiations for Medicare, pharmaceutical industry, lower the prescription drug costs. I also want dental. I also want hearing and I want eyeglasses. And then you have Joe Manchin come out and say, no, uh, I don't think so. Because in 2026, we will not have Medicare anymore. It's about to go bankrupt. How can we add to a program that's about to go bankrupt? Wow. Okay, it's going to be insolvent. Now, do you guys want to work this out in a private corner? Because you're doing it in front of us. Manchin also explained his opposition to the $150 billion Clean Electricity Performance Program. He worried about the coal-fired power plants that leave the nations dependent on energy sources he views as less dependable. He goes, I'm against what I know doesn't make sense. Slamming the proposal to pay the utilities, he went on and on and on. And guess what's happening, Rich? The people who are competing against China, they are having coal conventions. They're talking about bringing coal technology and mining to the next level. They're laughing at us, our obsession with clean energy, as we beg the Middle East to pump more because prices are so high. Yeah, so there are two things going on there with China. One, they're bringing on these coal-fired plants like nobody's business, one. And two, they make a lot of solar panels. So if we're really going all all solar and wind, we're, we're going to have to buy that from China. So neither side of, the, of that proposition makes sense. And Manchin, you know, I, I'm used to Manchin folding. I, I've never trusted Manchin. I, I've, at the beginning of this year, when, when it, it was clear that Manchin would be the, the fulcrum of the Senate, I was like, that's not a good spot to be. But I have to say, you know, everything he said publicly, he stood by. He's killed some of the most noxious provisions in, the, in this thing. And my hat's off to him. And same with Kristen Cinema, who has been a, a total rock, as far as we can tell, has dealt with this harassment. Including, you know, in in the stalls of bathrooms, with incredible uh, steadfastness and grace, and she has um, blown up their their revenue plans. You know, most of these taxes, she says she objects to, and now they got this lunatic idea of taxing unrealized capital gains, which which is. It's hard to see that, that that's really going to make it in the bill. It would be the, one of the most unworkable tax schemes in all of world history. So my hat's off to Mansion and Cinema. You know, we'll see wh- where this ends up. But so far, I think they've been great. Right. So I still don't understand why they think they're going to give a framework. Well, framework on what? There's no pay-fors in this at all. There's no clean energy, very little clean energy. So I'm worried about what's behind the curtain. 
Uh, you know, we're going to get 5,000 yeah. pages that no one will ever read. We'll have 48 hours to, to learn about. And the billionaire's tax, it looks like it's a non-starter with Manchin. He says it makes no sense. Uh, Kirsten Sinema said, I'll be open to it. But I talked to Tillman Fertitta. I think he's one of the, you know, one of those horrible billionaires in our country. And he said, you know, if you start taxing me on stuff that I haven't made yet, on gains that you perceive I made, I'm going to stop building stuff. I'm going to stop buying stuff. I'm going to stop hiring people. Yeah. And so is everybody else. How do you? Th- and these are my words. How do you think they became billionaires? By giving all yeah, their money no, away? No, exactly. Exactly. And, and how are you going to deal some years this stuff loses money? So what, are you going to give them a credit? And if you give them a credit, then you're, you're not getting the revenue in the, in the future. And also, you know, they say this is just going to be billionaires, 700 people or something, but these taxes tend to creep down. And if they do, you know, you'll have really successful businessmen who are totally invested in their business, have nothing else because they're entrepreneurs, and won't be able to afford to pay the taxes on their, their unrealized business gains. So it's, it's, it's a ludicrous idea, and I hope Manchin uh, stands firm on that one, too. I, I do. It would be great. So listen to what Jason Furman said. He's the one with the tweet that was retweeted by Ron Klain that talked about these are high-class problems. This is what he said. The original sin was an oversized American rescue plan. Boom! That was the only thing that Joe Biden passed, $1.9 trillion. It contributed to both higher output but also higher prices. This is Barack Obama's chief economic yeah. advisor. Wow! Over at Harvard. Next, also Larry Summers, basically critical that, that inflation is going to be around for a while, and we're re- and this administration is responsible for a lot of it. This is friendly fire. Yeah, so they did everything they could to stoke demand without stoking supply, and then there are lots of, of problems getting supply with the supply chain problems we've, and logistics problems we've, we've talked about. So there was a poll the other day that said a majority of the American public wants Biden to focus more on inflation and on the border. And these are things they, they have no interest in or have made worse. And the main thing they've done on inflation is just or contempt on people who, you know, might have a delayed delivery of an exercise bike, you know, or, or gosh, this is a 21st century problem that you can't get everything you want immediately, and it costs a little bit more. I think that's another thing that Ron Klain, maybe that's the Furman thing that Ron Klain uh, uh, retweeted. So th- that it's just it's just out of touch. And the border, of course, they've they've made worse. They created the bo- debacle there. So let's talk about the governor, uh, the governor's race in Virginia, which just means so much more. A couple of things: if uh, if McCall's able to win, it's going to be because he was able to successfully link Donald Trump to, uh, to Glenn Youngkin. And if he's not, I think people, the message to the Democrats is going to be, stop it. Unless it's, uh, unless it's, um, unless it's a Trump acolyte, act like it. So listen to, I, I guess in Joe Biden's 60-minute speech, he mentioned Donald Trump's name uh, two dozen times. Cut four. Now he doesn't want to talk about Trump anymore. Well, I do. I ran against Donald Trump. And Terry is running against an acolyte of Donald Trump. Yeah, the problem is that they, they, it's not the truth, remotely the truth. And Donald Trump's endorsed him, but he has not said anything because he knows he can't win without Trump supporters, but he can't win if it's just Trump supporters. So Joe Biden coming in at the last minute, what does that say to you about, the, about this race? 
Well, um, McAuliffe's desperate, and he knows he needs to get his, his voters out, and there's a motivation problem there. So he called in Obama. He called in Biden. And Biden's not – he's unpopular in Virginia, but it's not like, you know, Ohio or Alabama. 42%. He's maybe underwater by five yeah. points or so. So they, they think the downside risk is worth – potential downside risk is worth motivating Democrats. But you're right. On, on the Trump thing, this has just been a major theme. The, the Yunkin people just don't think it's going to work. They're like, you know, he's running against someone who's not on the ballot. And if Yunkin wins, this will be one of the takeaways that he found a path where you you don't alienate the Trump voters. You you need them. There's no way you're winning an election without them. You don't frontally criticize Trump, um, but but you 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 also don't you know have them come in in a, a swing state like uh, Virginia, or actually a, now basically a blue state like Virginia, and keep a little critical distance. And that's what Youngkin's tried to do. I think he's walked that tightrope pretty well. And if he if he makes it on on Tuesday, that would that will be one of the the lessons. And and at least in, in states like Virginia and swing states, will be a model for other Republicans. And Rich Lowry, the Nash, yeah, Rich Lowry, the National Review, my guest. In my view, I'm not putting words in your mouth. If uh, McAuliffe loses, Obama loses, Biden loses, First Lady loses, Stacey Abrams loses, he called in everybody. They're all involved in this now. Now the president comes in to save the day, and if he doesn't, what does that tell you with, with, about his closer credentials? Zero. Here's Glenn Youngkin uh, with me last night. Cut one. I called for a full investigation of the Loudoun County School Board, the, the Loudoun County School Superintendent, and the Commonwealth Attorney because they're not standing up for children's safety. They're not even standing up to get the schools open. They're not standing up for curriculum. They're not standing up for materials that are being shown to kids that parents don't want to see anymore. They won't even stand up for their safety. And this is actually turning Loudoun County our direction, but not just Loudoun County, all of Northern Virginia. You watch. We're going to do better in Northern Virginia than any Republican has done in a long time. And we just might win Loudoun County. Number one issue, 40 percent, the economy. Number two, education. We know education is white hot because of the curriculum that's been exposed. Healthcare, 17 percent. Uh, Loudoun County, put some reality into this. Donald Trump lost it by 25. Fairfax, he lost it by almost 40, over 40. And Prince William by 27, Prince William County by 27 percent. Does Youngkin make gains there? Yeah, he definitely makes gains. And, you know, how much depends on, you know, we'll decide the race, basically. But if another takeaway, if Youngkin pulls this off, will be that education is a national issue and is a Republican issue for the first time. I, I don't know since when. I think George W. Bush, when he passed No Child Left Behind, which I wasn't thrilled by, you know, was even with Democrats on, on education. But Youngkin's been ahead in the polls on education, and it goes to the backlash against CRT, backlash against the transgender craziness, and the backlash to what's happening in Loudoun County, which is horrifying the, that the, this dad was smeared as a domestic terrorist trying to get justice for his, his daughter, who was assaulted as a result of this idiotic transgender bathroom policy. They had in, in Loudoun County. Um, so th- this will be, education will be a huge part of the story if Youngkin pulls it off. The word freedom comes into play, and I'm already over, but I got to get your take on this. Do you believe this mandate mania that has so many uh, minorities who have decided not to take, for maybe some good reasons, uh, they just don't feel comfortable, to not take the shot, now being forced to take the shot by the Biden administration, almost solely in Democrat-run cities outside uh, and states outside Massachusetts? Do you think that could boomerang on that party? Do they not realize who they're alienating, that it's not Trump supporters necessarily that are reluctant on the, on the vaccine? 
you know, mostly minority uh, Americans? Yeah, you know, I was talking to uh, bring it back to Virginia again. I was talking to a Youngkin guy about this this very issue when Biden first said he was going to have a federal mandate, and Youngkin said he was opposed. McCall started hitting him hard, and they were kind of worried the the effect it would have. And then they they he said that he went with Youngkin to a uh, a shipbuilding plant or something like that, and the guys are coming off their their shift, and all the white guys they wanted to talk about the usual issues, you know, guns and, and that kind of stuff. That all the black and Latino guys wanted to talk about the vaccine mandate and how opposed they were to it. So, so this is an issue that cuts in interesting ways. And again, in Virginia, if Youngkin wins, maybe there'll be a wake-up call for, for Democrats on that. I'm not sure, but maybe. As in Amer- for the American people, you lose so many cops, firefighters, medical workers, uh, hospice workers, because you want 100% vaccine compliance. That is not practical in this diverse country. Uh, Rich Lowry, can't thank you enough. Interesting perspective, exciting time. Thanks, Brian. Have a great week. Uh, Yeah, follow uh, Rich everywhere. He always has intelligent, insightful things to say with great contacts. When we come back, I'll take your calls, 1-866-408-7669. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. The whole story is that progress takes patience. I love the tension between Frederick Douglass and President Lincoln and Douglas should have been, rightfully so, angry at the lack of progress, pushing Lincoln to move as quickly as possible. And at the same time, you have to admire and respect Lincoln's patience. His primary objective was to keep the nation together. And for a long time, he thought that's the way you averted a war. And frankly, it took the Civil War in order for us to unite the nation. But progress and patience are linked together unmistakably in politics, but really in life. Uh, that's Tim Scott, senator from South Carolina. I was able to catch up with him in front of in, in the Charleston Battery, right across from Fort Sumter, and we talked about uh, the president and the Freedom Fighter, the book that's coming out November second. He's going to be on the special November seventh because so many of the issues that were happening then, to a lesser degree, are happening now, still here, still a part of fierce debate. And I cannot wait to talk to you about these two men and how they work together to make America more perfect union. You can get it at BrianKilme.com. I also have some appearances. Manhasset, New York, that'll be in Publicans. Uh, it's a bar restaurant. I think you're going to love it. November 3rd, November 4th in Staten Island, the Barnes & Noble uh, uh, Staten Island Mall. I've never done a tour stop there, but I'm looking forward to it. Lawrenceville, Georgia, Books a Million. That's November 5th. Now just go on BrianKilme.com. Just register so we can get your place online and make you first. Lexington, Kentucky, the 40th Annual Kentucky Book Festival. That should be fun. Charleston, West Virginia. I'll be live on stage at 4 o'clock in the afternoon at Charleston Coliseum. Hope to be part of that. I hope you're there. we have a chance to talk about all the books in the war and history. Then Doylestown, Pennsylvania. I also want to alert all of the WDBO uh, listeners that I'm going to be on November 21st. I'm going to be in Orlando, and I'm going to be – I want you to go to BrianKilme.com, November 21st at the Plaza Live. Uh, this way I have a chance to interact with you. There's VIP opportunities. Let's go to Eric, WOKV. Eric. Hey, Brian, as usual, you're right on topic. Um, here in Florida, the people elected to uh, raise the minimum wage in 2023 to $15 an hour. So a high school burger flipper is making $15 an hour. I want 25 or you get no Internet. And my wife should get 100 or your mother-in-law suffocates without oxygen. 
we have people that have never worked a day in their life, such as Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, and a 26-year-old bartender. They don't understand how this works. It's just going to drive everything up. And the people at the bottom, are, they're going to be suffering again. I mean, right. Wages going up and 400,000 jobs open. Tillman Petita specifically launched. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach, it's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. We have a lot to discuss today, a lot going on in Washington before the president picks up stakes and does what he does best, leave the White House. Uh, he's going to Glasgow. He's going to the G20. He's going to talk to other leaders and try to explain himself and pretend that they are on board when it comes to how we left Afghanistan. Uh, nobody's on board how we left Afghanistan. Nobody is going to be on board with Iran as we try to loop in sanctions and tighten the uh, noose around them. And nobody's going to be on board when they find out that Joe Biden and his clean world agenda is going to be going to Glasgow without a deal, it seems, certainly without the clean energy package that he hopes. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. These were heroes who sent your work as they died, and now we're going to fire them? Mr. Mayor, sit down. Figure out how to compromise with their union leaders. But, oh, no, he's like Michael Corleone. He's only got a few weeks left. He's going to settle all scores on the way out. Uh, That is a mayoral nominee from the Republican side, Curtis Sliwa, and he's right. Have a testing option. That's all you need, Mayor de Blasio. Instead, your mandate is going to have a third of the police force walking off the job along with 40% of your firefighters. Are we ready for that? The EMTs and FDA approval of advisors voted 17-0, though, to authorize a Pfizer vax for children 5 to 11. How soon till that's a mandate? The shot now Number two. There's a possibility that if Speaker Pelosi went ahead with that vote on the infrastructure bill, even if some Democrats didn't vote for it, that some Republicans might. I was listening to a Republican first last night who said there was actually significant Republican support for that infrastructure bill as long as it's not tied to the reconciliation bill. And that's Jeff Mason of Reuters. No deal as of now. As hope fades for the Dems and rises for me and maybe you on a Democratic social spending palooza. The hurdles and the roadblocks that have the left wondering how much more they have to sacrifice for two immovable moderates. Number one. I called for a full investigation of the Loudoun County School Board because they're not standing up for children's safety. And this is actually turning Loudoun County our direction, but not just Loudoun County. All of Northern Virginia. You watch. We're going to do better in Northern Virginia than any Republican has done in a long time. And we just might win Loudoun County. Glenn Glenn Youngkin on with me last night on primetime. The epic final lap. Now four straight polls say it's a dead heat between Youngkin and McAuliffe. How? How? As the governor's race in Virginia heats up in every sense of the word. A Youngkin slim win will get the GOP no. They are beginning to take back something they have to take back, and that's the suburbs where the protests were everywhere yesterday on the school curriculum on every county in Virginia. And that's where we'll start. Congressman Dan Crenshaw. Congressman, I'm amazed because one thing about President Obama, he's got great instincts, political instincts. If you just look at his track record, we get it. I think we understand it. His instincts said that this is a social 
uh, culture war, war, trumped up culture war. Did he thoroughly miss? Was he not paying attention to what's happening amongst these parents in Virginia specifically, but not solely? Well, I think Barack Obama did have really good political instincts when he was trying to win in politics. Okay, what what I've noticed since he left politics is is that he's more concerned about currying the favor of the leftist base, and so he's he's become a he's become more radical than I think he was willing to do as he governed. Uh, so that's why he's willing to say things like this, right? We're just willing to repeat sort of the sloganeering and the talking points of the left. And, and this is just an outright false one. You know, there's these trumped up culture wars. Uh, I think my favorite response to this uh, was from Ben Shapiro, where he, 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 re, he retweeted Kamala Harris uh, announcing their their uh, national gender plan. So they have a national gender plan because we, clearly we need a, a gender plan, whatever that means. Um, if you actually look into it, all it means is just a long list of progressive policies, which somehow are better for, you know, gender equality. And, and he retweets this and says, Barack Obama says there's no Trump, all these culture wars are trumped up. Meanwhile, Kamala Harris over here with the gender plan. So, you know, it's 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 really laughable on its face. Um, there There is a culture war going on. There There is CRT being taught in our schools. Now, they, they hide it. It, it. It's not a class called critical race theory, but it is a curriculum with diversity and inclusion. And who can be against you know, teaching about diversity and, and inclusiveness? Who can be against that? Well, the thing is, is it, it's not really diversity in any classical sense. It's not inclusion in any classical sense uh, where you would maybe allow different ideas to be held uh, within the same space. It's actually the opposite of that. It's ideological in nature, and it's, and it's teaching kids to see each other only through a lens of race, which is, which is of course, a tenet of critical race theory. So it, the, the, these culture wars are real. Uh, I'm glad Republicans have woken up to it. I think, it, you know, I think the last few years um, have been a real awakening for America, and now we're starting to see gains. I think for a long time we didn't uh, because, well, frankly, because Republicans were in charge, and whoever's in charge – yeah, uh, just doesn't get the benefit of the doubt. But now the Democrats are in charge of everything. I think people are waking up. I, I think so. Uh, but also it's so significant in that they say that the Republicans rounded up these school boards and got these parents involved in order to take back. Are you kidding me? The Republicans did that? Uh, you know, uh, I don't really see that happening. Uh, the Republicans can't round up school boards and get people mobilized in these small counties and, and big towns to act. But what's interesting, it is the school boards and the parents against the teachers' unions. If you notice, the President of the United States and Terry McAuliffe both have one thing in common. They continue to be scared of the teachers' unions and losing that vote. That is a risky choice now. Yeah, it, it, that's a great point, um, because the teachers union, unions have pitted themselves against uh, the regular parents, the regular Americans out there. Uh, they've done so in a variety of ways, whether it's mass mandates or the vaccine mandates or them re- refusing to come into class. In Northern Virginia in particular, this was a really bad problem. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm up in D.C. a lot. I have staff that has kids out there. And the parents were really, really getting frustrated with the school closures over the past year and a half. Uh, the mask wearing that everybody knows is unnecessary for small children, and they, they just keep doing it anyway. And the teachers' unions are not relying on any kind of science or logic or reason. This really gets the parents. And you know what? Parents parents are voting out here. Teachers' unions may be powerful. They may donate. They may be politically active. But I think the Democrats are making a mistake 
siding with them. They, they side with all these radical groups. If you're ever trying to understand why uh, why Democrats do the things they do, um, it, it's because they side with radical groups, whether those are immigration activists, whether those are climate activists, or whether those are teachers unions. And uh, they, they side with them because they're good at organizing. And Democrats and politicians in general are scared of people that can organize well. A couple of things uh, before we move on. Number one, Terry McAuliffe got nailed for Pinocchio's in the Washington Post, who endorsed him as the governor from Virginia. He said, keep saying that there were 4,000 cases yesterday in the Commonwealth of Virginia. The pandemic's out of control. 1,442 children in serious condition with COVID. They're in hospitals and ICU beds. There's 35. And if you take two weekends back to back, you get 4,000 cases. Uh, he said there were 8,000 cases at one point. Now, for an experienced politician that's usually an operative, so been doing this for 40 years, do you think he knows he was going to get called out on this? Is it worth the risk? Can you, you're, a, you're not only a war fighter, you're a politician. Do you, do you understand that mindset? Yeah, I, I don't because I'm very careful. Um, you know, when I, do, I do interviews with you all the time. I do interviews on a variety of uh, different platforms all the time. I, I'm very careful about what I say. I, I don't want to be fact-checked. It doesn't, it doesn't make you feel good. Now, Democrats haven't had to have this problem for a very long time. They're only recently having this problem where the media is like, I just can't ignore you guys anymore. I wanted to ignore you. I'm on your side. But I can't ignore you anymore because things are really bad and you're really crazy. And also you're really wrong and factual. So uh, it's, it's nice to see them squirm and have to be fact-checked every once in a while. Uh, but 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 that, those particular numbers are so egregious. I mean, it, it, they must sound wrong to him when he when he says them, it, because we all know that children are, are really not at serious risk from this disease. They never have been. And, and this obsession with getting everybody to do the same exact thing. Everybody must be a team and march in unison, left, right, left, right. It's it's really gotten out of control. It's unnecessary. Okay, it's, it, if, if this was a if this, if this was the bubonic plague and we had 50% mortality rates, I might see your point a little bit more. But that's just not the case. And what is the case is that if you are vaccinated, you have a very very low chance of being hospitalized. So you can't really claim that the unvaccinated are out to get you, are out to kill you. This isn't true. Children have never been a serious um, vector of spread. We've known that. They're and, not really harmed by and this. Dan, they gave a stat it, it, out. This needs to stop. Yeah, they gave a stat out with the COVID nineteen vaccine available from Pfizer soon. Uh, they said right now, in terms of the things that are killing kids, it's eighth. You know, choking is number one or two. Uh, uh, drowning is number one, I think. You know, so it's the eighth thing. You know, we're doing. We're not keeping kids out of pools, and the way we're reacting to it, I think, is totally out of hand. And before I move on to another topic, this is something, a reason why you wrote the book, Fame, Blame, and the Raft of Shame for Kids. You know, you could write a book about uh, fighting wars. You wrote your biography. But you're trying to target kids to get them in the right mindset. You're concerned about the next generation. In this book, what do you try to get across? So this book is is part of a larger saga. It's a cool project, Brian. Uh, If you go to dancrenshaw.com, you can can sign up for this. And – what you get is a subscription. You get a new conservative-minded children's book every month. Mine is on cancel culture. So mine is, uh, well, it, you read this story, and it's and it's for kids, right? So it's with all these animals in, uh, in, in this cool underwater city. It's part of this larger universe called Freedom Island. So it's obviously very appropriate for kids. And um, 
it's a story about you know a joke that went wrong and and cancel culture that ensued and then some level of forgiveness that came after that so i think it's it's kids or it's lessons that i think kids need to hear and you know this is a hot topic right now giving parents no tools that they need yeah giving parents the tools that they need to teach their kids they want more control over what their kids are learning mm-hmm. and they need tools to do that and so i i, I think this this book is, can be a small part right. of that there's also a workbook in the back with games and just a little bit more in-depth uh, potential for conversations on what cancel culture is what it isn't and um, how not to be a part of it and, and how to how to defend yourself against it if it ever happens to you. Speaking of defending yourself, that's what a lot of Americans are doing inside Afghanistan now, place where you fought. Colin Call, he's third in command of the Defense Department. Uh, he said this about who we left behind right now. Listen, the Department of State uh, is in contact with 196 American citizens who are ready to depart and arrangements are being made for them to do so. Another 243 American citizens are, have been contacted and are not ready to depart. Uh, not ready to depart. Uh, I'm hearing that the reason why people aren't ready to depart, they'll say, you can go, but your family's got to stay. These numbers are embarrassing and they're worrisome. Congressman, what can we do about this? What can we do to help this impoverished, terror-laden country and get American people out? It doesn't seem like the president nor the press want to talk about this. No, they don't. And... Um... Truthfully, there's no easy answers. I mean, the, the, the answer was don't screw it up in the first place. Uh, and, uh, you know, I've been very frustrated with how this whole thing went. I've been very angry about it because I, I said this would happen. I've been saying this would happen for years if we've made this highly emotional uh, political decision. Very, very bad decision to make. Um, and so we were always going to, if, if we went down to zero troops and we let the Taliban take over, we were always going to be in this situation where you'd have Americans stranded and with very few options to get them out. Um, there's a few reasons there's little options. One, the Taliban just won't let them. Um, they, they don't want the drain, and they, they probably want some leverage, too. You know, I was on the phone with the Pakistani intelligence um, about a month ago uh, trying to get them to successfully getting them to talk the Taliban into letting some of these flights leave that were that, that were these private uh, ventures getting people out that's the kind of thing the State Department needs to be doing more actively and um, because I think that the again the primary problem is going to be a permission on the ground and the State Department has given up all leverage the Biden has given up all leverage on the Taliban There's, they have no reason to want to listen to them there's no threats they can make that are credible because the Taliban believes he's a paper tiger. Um, and so you, you're, you're just in a really bad situation right now, and it's heartbreaking for people who, are, who, who would have liked to have left but can't. Yeah, uh, help us or, uh, or belong here. Lastly, Dan, uh, how many Navy SEALs do you think will special operators, Navy SEALs, Green Brains are going to lose because they don't want to get the shot, the vaccination? I don't have good numbers on that, I'm trying to get them. Um, it's enough. I mean, I, I've already heard of, of dozens of guys leaving a, a one team, and, and one team is not large. You know, we're talking uh, maybe of about 100, 150 SEALs. So a couple dozen is pretty significant. Um, we spend a lot of money and time training these people. Uh, and, and and look, this is, a, this, is a, this is a tough – the military in particular is a, a tougher discussion point when it comes to vaccine mandates because people will say – Look, you're forced to take vaccines all the time. Every single person who's refusing a vaccine has taken a bunch of other vaccines. And, and, and look, that, that's true. Um, but here's what I say to, 
to the government officials trying to impose this, whether it's on businesses or whether it's on yep. on your own company, whether it's a private decision, whatever it is, you've lost the argument, so stop trying to force it. <laughs> that, that, that's it. I mean, my, my argument is very practical. You, you can't afford to have nurses and doctors living nope. in your hospitals. You can't afford to have, you know, tens of thousands of employees leaving the workforce when we, when we can't hire anybody. You can't afford to have highly trained military personnel leaving the military. You can't afford to have cops leaving their stations when crime is up in places like New York. You just can't afford it. So on a, on a practical level, please look at the costs and benefits of this. Even if you're so sure of your righteousness and your, and your right to tell them to get vaccinated, it, it doesn't matter. It's not practical at this point. And, Thank and you, you know it. So, so stop it. Uh, absolutely. And you know what? If you want to say to some, just talk to your doctor. And you're, almost every doctor is going to say get vaccinated. They'll know your underlying conditions if you have them. And that's where people feel comfortable interacting, not with their politician, no offense, but with their doctor. Congressman Dan Crenshaw, you make it a lot of sense. Thanks so much. Thanks, Brian. It was good to talk to you. Okay. Bye. Thanks so much. Uh, listen, we'll come back. It's going to be good to talk to you. You'll have your chance. Also, read your emails on briankillme.com. And then we're going to talk to Andrew Ansbro. He's a FDNY Firefighter Association president. He's dealing with a lot of firefighters, don't want to get the vaccination, and they're going to be leaving their jobs because of this ridiculous New York policy. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. There's a possibility that if um, if Nancy Pelosi, Speaker Pelosi, went ahead with that vote on the infrastructure bill, even if some Democrats didn't vote for it, that some Republicans might. Um, I was speaking to a Republican source or listening to a Republican source last night who said uh, there was actually significant Republican support for that infrastructure bill as long as it's not tied to the reconciliation bill. So that was Jeff Mason of Reuters just trying to figure out what's happening with this reconciliation bill. The president's going to be going to Glasgow with nothing. Here's more from Jeff Mason. I play this because I think he's a pretty fair guy. I don't really know where his politics stand, but he can't believe what he's seeing. Cut 16. The larger issue for President Biden uh, and the Democrats is he is going to Glasgow this coming weekend for a, a global <laughs> climate change conference and wants to have a victory in hand because a big chunk uh, of both of those bills has to do with climate change. And if he arrives there without a deal and without something that he can show the rest of the world, this is what the United States is doing, it will undermine him on the, on the world stage. Because he wants everybody else to give up coal and oil and fossil fuels. But we can't live without it. Look at Europe. Examine exactly what they're doing. Germany's still digging tons of coal, picking up towns and forcing people to move for coal. But we have tons of coal. Instead of trying to get it clean, we just try to eliminate it. China's using it now. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. There's so much misinformation out there, and people have been told things that just aren't true about the vaccine. You have till... Friday at 5 o'clock. Folks who don't get vaccinated, sorry to say they won't get paid. 
They want to get paid. We need them to be vaccinated. Uh, that is the idiot mayor we have in New York City, like the one you have in Chicago, like the one you have in Seattle, like the governor you have in Washington state. Uh, we're seeing more and more with zero tolerance for people not vaccinated, regardless of their reasons. And even the governor of Massachusetts, Andrew Ansbro, joins us right now. He's not worried about these other states. He's worried about New York. He's FDNY Firefighters Association president. Uh, I was lucky enough to talk to Andrew on television on Monday night on primetime. Andrew, welcome back. Good morning, Brian. Thanks for having me back. You, you made it clear you got vaccinated. A lot of you guys haven't. Uh, what's going to happen November 1st if they're not? Well, right now, 45% of New York City firefighters are unvaccinated. I don't think many have actually gone to get vaccinated. The department says about 140 have shown up in the last few days. That's firefighters, fire officers, EMS, and civilians. So the number of actual firefighters that's shown up is going to be pretty small. Uh, I think the line is in the sand. Uh, we're not going to cross it. I think what's going to happen on November 1st is that they're going to have to close down 30 to 40 percent of the firehouses in New York City. You think they're going to follow through with it? Do you think they realize this? Well, uh, on Friday, when they're, they're tallying the numbers of who complied and who didn't, they're going to be faced with the stark reality that they're going to have to close firehouses down. And... Uh, there, there's no other way to do it. There's just not the manpower, the, the staffing just is not there. There's no way to do it. And the response times are going to go through the roof. We're just not going to be able to get to the emergencies in time. Fires are going to burn longer. Heart attack victims are going to be laying on the floor longer for us to get there. People in stuck elevators are going to be stuck there for hours, if not days. So uh, there are 7,000 EMS firefighters and civilian members who are not vaccinated. The department indicated that excessive shortages exist, as you just mentioned. So if you have an option to retire rather than get vaccinated, will you uh, retire with full pay? Absolutely. Well, it's not a full pay. It's a half-pay retirement. But uh, I spoke to the retirement office yesterday, and they said uh, they, they're definitely seeing an uptick in the number of retirements. So Norm- that's normally the volume right. they get in a month they've received in two days. So what if people just want to leave and, you know, while you guys work this out, they want to get other jobs. Can you? Uh, well, we have a negotiation session with the city today. Uh, but if it follows the teacher's deal, if you want to continue your employment with the city, you can't get another job. They, they basically want to force you to go out without money. What about the exemption option? Uh, we were told that there will be medical exemptions and religious exemptions. We were also told they'll be highly scrutinized and very unlikely. The uh, religious exemption is is going to be held to the standard, which is as per the needs of the department. And the department needs you vaccinated, according to them. So they can basically waive any religious exemption. We expect them to do that. How do you feel about all this? Well, I feel that the mayor put a, a testing program in place two weeks ago. Uh, a testing program we asked for well over a year ago. And when it turned out that the numbers of uh, when they tested half of us, because half of us, you know, 45 percent of us, the numbers of the people they found out that were infected did change. Right now, less than one half of one percent of the New York City Fire Department is out on COVID leave. And uh, as a contrast, probably eight percent of the fire department is out with injuries from doing their job. So there is no crisis related to COVID in the FDNY. It's an absolute fallacy. Right now, the FDNY is losing two to three firefighters dying every month due to 9-11-related cancer. 
and they're doing nothing about it, right? There's a, uh, a mandate from the state that every firefighter, every New York City employee gets four hours off in order to get a cancer screening, and that, this was from 2018. The FDNY has refused to give firefighters that time off to get screening. We're losing three fire, two to three firefighters a month, and they refuse to comply with a state mandate to let us get cancer screening, but now they want to force a mandate on firefighters that showed up for 20 months and got sick to get a vaccine that most of them, the vast majority, do not need because they've already been sick. Do they care about your health last year? Do they care about that with testing and quarantine and follow-up and doctors? Did they flood the firehouses with, with medical care? Well, you know what? That, that, that's, that's, that's funny. You see, the, the only medical office I heard of that closed its door, the only doctor's office that closed its doors during the pandemic was the FDNY medical office. Oh my they closed down firefighter medicals. They refused to see firefighters that had COVID. You couldn't get in. And as a result... Those cancer screenings that they were doing came to, a, came to a halt. It didn't happen. So they closed the doors of their own medical office, let firefighters go untreated, told firefighters to go back in the field if they no longer had symptoms on a phone call. They didn't even see them face-to-face. It was a phone call. We asked them to isolate firehouses that they know had an infection. At one point in time, 85 firehouses had a raging infection. They refused to isolate those firehouses. They had firemen going in and out, firehouse to firehouse. They didn't do anything then. We asked them to contact trace when a firefighter was sick, when a firefighter tested positive. Their, their response was, we don't have to call the firefighters they worked with and let them know. We don't have to. What they did was immoral, and this vaccine mandate is immoral. Can you reach past to Curtis uh, Sliwa, who clearly is in your lane, and Eric Adams, who's saying the right things, uh, and just let them make factor into this decision since this is a lame duck mayor, lame in every way? Absolutely. Uh, we're hoping that the federal government uh, and OSHA comes through with the requirement to bring back the testing and vaccine mandate. It's on the government's website. It's on the White House website that tests or vax. The, the testing option is, should be available for businesses with 100 employees or more. There is no reason why it shouldn't be available to the FDNY and other city agencies. It's working. There is no crisis. Months ago, the mayor had his parade to say this is over. As far as we're concerned, it's over. The it's numbers- not a pandemic anymore. It's not, it's, not a, it's not an emergency. COVID is here to stay. It will always claim a life here and there. But firefighters have have been through three waves of this, and it's no longer an issue for us. And members need to have a choice to either get tested or vac- vaccinated. They need a choice. Yeah, I mean, that you're 100% right. We have a choice here at Fox. You know, it's a pain in the neck. I'm vaccinated, so I don't have to go with it, but I see what it has to be done. But nobody wants to get fired. Plus, the whole country, the whole world's been through enough. Why you act like a tough guy demanding 100% compliance with a vaccine that's nine months old? Listen, it might be the best vaccine ever. I thought I thought I did enough of my research. I did it. You got vaccinated. You told me that. But you're not demanding that everybody's. You don't. People don't come to the associate president of the Firefighter Association for medical advice. Andrew, you're you're pretty cognizant of that, correct? Absolutely, absolutely. Members make their own decisions. I actually, we actually hired our own virologist who gave us advice on how to go in this pandemic. 
I will say every virologist is on the same page with vaccinations, but he gave us enough information that we understand that there are antibodies for people that are previously infected. There is no question about it. We have members that were sick two weeks ago that are being told as soon as your symptoms are over, you have to get vaccinated. That goes entirely against the science. There are studies coming out every day that say it's not necessary. The CDC said you had a 90-day window after an active infection where you did not need the vaccine, and they're not changing it based on science. They're changing it based on politics. And if you look at the map in the New York Times, and this is we're talking with uh, Andrew Ansbro, the FDNY Firefighter Associate President. If you look at the map, uh, you see tan. Tan means good. The darker, the worse. On the New York Times, you see how good things are in almost every state in the country outside Minnesota. They don't want to let this go. I don't understand it. It's not up to them to decide about our health. And guess what? How soon, in your view, Andrew, until they mandate boosters or you're not vaccinated? How soon do they tell that 5 to 12-year-old, you're not allowed to go to school until you're vaccinated? We already see cities now mandating the flu shot. You've got to get, get the flu shot or you're not allowed to come to work. I mean, where's this going to stop? How come people can't see where this is heading? I, I, think, I think a lot of people see where this is heading. New York City firefighters, New York City police officers, New York City correctional officers, sanitation workers, we all see where this is going. And that's why they're going to hold the line. On November 1st, the mayor is going to be faced with either sending us home or sticking with his guns. And his guns are going to get New York City residents killed. It's like he's trying to destroy the city. Uh, either he's emptying out Rikers Island, understaffing it, or now he is... Uh, demoralizing the fire department and especially the police officers. You know what I found disappointing? Uh, the uh, police commissioner, it's not your uh, avenue, I get it, but the police commissioner wants his whole staff, uh, all his officers vaccinated by November 1st, too. That's this week. Well, you know, once you pass a certain examination in police and fire, your progress is based on the good graces of the mayor. Their words are not always their own. Understood. Uh, Andrew, is there anything we can do? People at home listening right now outraged about what you guys are going through. What you can do is ask people to support us. We've always supported New York City residents. We, I'm going to tell my members to go to work and stay there. At a moment's notice, you have to be ready to get on that rig. When this city goes into utter chaos on November 1st, be ready to pick up the pieces that the mayor causes. As we have for the last eight years, uh, he's a disaster. Andrew Ansbro, thanks so much. He's he's ending with the way he started, making terrible decisions. Appreciate you joining us today. Best of luck, Andrew. Thank you. All right, one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. You see where this mandates are going? It's uh, ripping up the country for no reason. We get on the other side of the pandemic, no one talks about it. They don't drop the banner that says how many cases. They don't drop the decreases. They just want to tell you uh, what's bad. Instead of what's good. And that's what's happening here. We might get hit by another wave. And there's another virulent coming. I get it. But it's not going to be as bad. And we'll be able to handle it. And we'll handle it then. Meanwhile, we're heading to the holidays with the numbers going down. What's going to make it worse? Supply chain mess, which we're experiencing. No plan of action. And number two, let's have everybody vaccinated or you're fired. Not acceptable. Back with your calls in just a moment. You'll listen to Brian Kilmeade Show. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm supporting basically that we do, everyone should pay their fair share. And I've just tried to think of it. it I don't like it. Uh, I, I don't like the connotation that we're targeting different people. There's people that basically they've contributed to society, they've created a lot of jobs and invest a lot of money and give a lot to philanthropic uh, pursuits. Uh, but it's time that we all pull together and row together. Yeah, that was a little of Joe Manchin. He just spoke to the press for like 20 minutes. He handled all issues directly, just like he did the Economic Council meeting the other day and some virtual event uh, the other day. There's really nothing secretive about him. My big worry is we're going to hear about some bill that passed. It's, they're going to give you a top number. It's going to make Republicans feel a little bit better. But in the numbers, in the deal, will be just as bad. It'll be the seeding of these social programs, making people make tough decisions, like getting rid of something that they've been achieving, making it detrimental politically for people to uh, deal with. If we have any more, Joe Manchin, let's listen. There should be a 15% patriotic tax. That's me speaking. That's not, I'm not speaking for anybody else, but we've said and we've all agreed on a 15% corporate tax. Well, people in the stratosphere, rather than trying to penalize them, we ought to be pleased that this country is able to produce the wealth. But with that, there's a patriotic duty that you should be paying something to this great country to give you the protection and the support and the opportunities. That's called a patriot. A patriotic tax will be nothing that we should be scorned about. It doesn't harm anybody. Well, 15% is fine. I, I don't know what he's referring to. If he's talking about the corporate rate, the corporate rate's at 21, and he was going to raise it to 25. So I'm not a tax guy. I don't work for H&R Block, although I've applied. More from Manchin and the so-called billionaire millionaires tax. There's only about 700 billionaires in this country. So should we tax them on unrealized gains? Layman's terms? If you are investing but not getting dividends yet, should you be paying for the value of that property, that entity, that stock? Cut 17, 27. I've got bills written right now on the billionaire's tax. There's a lot like going on. I, I, you know, there's a lot going on with that, and it, it's, a, it's very convoluted. It's hard. It, I, I believe there's going to be everyone's going to pay. I believe that we will end up where everyone must participate. Uh, I don't know if that means he did duck that, so I, maybe I spoke too soon. Cut 28. We're not doing everything today. We're not going to have a complete. This, the Senate's going to take time. You think it's going to happen today in the Senate. We're basically trying to agree to a framework, and the president's been very clear. He'll go over to the House, and he'll basically explain to the House that I have a framework, but there's still an awful lot of work to be done, and we're going to have something happen, and you have to trust. The president's given everything he has to make this happen. He's trying to meet everybody halfway. And I appreciate that because I've been through negotiations, and I can tell he has given everything he has to this. People have to respect that. Only thing we're asking for is vote on a piece of legislation that's already been bipartisan. I'll guarantee I'm dealing in good faith. I'm meeting with people I've never had, and I really enjoy it. I've never had the opportunity to know them before. We can sit down and work something out. Give us a chance. So what he's talking about is $1.2 trillion, uh, that was passed with $580 roughly billion dollars of new money and repurposed pandemic money, okay? So that was passed. That was agreed on, I think, in June. And they wouldn't pass it or put it up for a vote until you got the reconciliation package, which means pure party lines. So he's saying, can we please pass what we agreed on that I spent months negotiating with Republicans for and— I know people don't like a lot of elements in this bill. There's too much green stuff, not enough roads and bridges. Fine. 
and you you have a point. But we, I can't even get to the point where I'm examining the 1.2 because you're trying to jam 3.5 and make everybody that agreed with you and came across the aisle and put up with some personal rancor to make them feel stupid for even uh, giving you this win that you refused to take. And you know who the most, uh, the most culpable on all this is? That is President Biden. He's the one. Now, on Medicare expansion, it's another big thing. That's what Bernie Sanders wants. He wants vision. He wants uh, dental. He wants everything in it. Joe Manchin says, no, I don't think so. Cut 29. Senator Sanders has said that Medicare expansion is not going to come out of this bill. Do you still disagree with that? Let me just say about the expansions, and we have to, we're negotiating and talking about that. I am truly, absolutely concerned about the deficit of our, of our country at 20, almost $29 trillion. I'm concerned about the insolvency of the trust funds. In good conscience, I have a hard time increasing, basically, benefits, which all of us can agree that, oh, I'd love to have this, love to have that, when you can't even take care of what you have. So that's the difference, and that's the discussions we're having. Those are honest, open discussions. How am I going to tell people in West Virginia that Medicare and Social Security is your lifeline, but and you're going to be in trouble by 2026? They've all heard that. What's that mean to me? Am I going to pay more, or am I going to be cut back on my services I'm getting? But yet we're adding more to it. That's the problem. These are the old debates they had in the 80s and 90s. You know, let's, uh, let's, uh, let's add to Medicare as opposed to Medicare for all. You know, let's, uh, uh, let's get some uh, stimulus in the system. Really? Inflation's going through the roof. It makes no sense. I just want it in. And then the other people just say, well, I'm a moderate. I, I don't know what you're talking about. I can't with, with good faith do this. And then you have an administration that's sending 17 people to the Global Climate Summit in Glasgow. That's where they want to go. That's where they care. They don't want to talk about Afghanistan. They don't want to talk about the border. They don't want to talk about issues that make sense here, about oil and gas. They don't want to talk about all that. They want to talk about to save the planet. Admirable in theory, but that's not what the government should be doing right now. It's not ready. China knows it. Russia knows it. That's who we're competing with. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. In about five days, you'll have a chance to get the president and freedom fighter, Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, in the battle to save America's soul. We're having the same discussions with that they had then today. Not as extreme. It will result in a civil war. We won't need that, but it's, it's worth looking back in order to understand where we're at. Uh, Senator Joni Ernst will be with us shortly at the bottom of the hour, excuse me, at 20 minutes after the hour. Martha McCallum, host of The Story at 3. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. These were heroes who sent your work as they died, and now we're going to fire them? Mr. Mayor, sit down. Figure out how to compromise with their union leaders. But oh no, he's like Michael Corleone. He's only got a few weeks left. He's going to settle all scores on the way out. Well, that was uh, part of the debate last night. Curtis Lee was trying to be the next mayor of New York, trailing by 30 points. Thousands of New York City employees continued to protest Mayor de Blasio's vaccine mandates. His response, get vaccinated or you are fired. Meanwhile, an FDA panel of advisors voted 17-0 to authorize Pfizer 
Vaccines for kids. Are you ready to do that for your kid? Are mandates coming there too? Number two. There's a possibility that if Speaker Pelosi went ahead with that vote on the infrastructure bill, even if some Democrats didn't vote for it, that some Republicans might. I was listening to Republicans first last night who said there was actually significant Republican support for that infrastructure bill as long as it's not tied to the reconciliation bill. Uh, that is interesting because that was the original intent from Republicans. No deal. As hope fades for Dems and rises for me and maybe you on a Democrat social spending palooza, the hurdles and the roadblocks that have the left wondering how many more they have to sacrifice for two immovable moderates. Number one. I called for a full investigation of the Loudoun County School Board because they're not standing up for children's safety. And this is actually turning Loudoun County our direction, but not just Loudoun County. All of Northern Virginia. You watch. We're going to do better in Northern Virginia than any Republican has done in a long time. And we just might win Loudoun County. And right now, there's been four straight polls from Glenn Youngkin and Terry McAuliffe, and we are in a dead heat. An epic final lap. What will it mean if Youngkin's able to win? What does it mean if McAuliffe's able to tag him with Donald Trump, the guy he's not even friends with, in order to be successful? Does that mean that's how they'll run in 2022? We'll discuss it. Uh, Let's do it now with Senator Joni Ernst. Senator, when you look at the governor's race in Virginia, do you think it's just their problem? Are you looking to a roadmap for Republican success? Well, I am hoping that we do see a success here, Brian, because uh, what we see in this administration and, of course, then the the trickle down that hits our our governors and our state legislatures, uh, those that are controlled by blue governors, um, blue legislatures, it is this crackdown on America's liberties, our freedoms, our economic prosperity. So I do think that the race in Virginia will be very telling. And I hope our Republicans turn out in mass um, to support our candidate. Uh, but again, it, it's uh, what we see. It's very reflective of what's going on in the federal government. Right. Uh, just real quick, if you know, one of the things that happened, not for you, you had a great win, but it seems as though Republicans are beginning to use lose the soccer moms. Uh, if they, if you did in fact did it, and the numbers say you did, are you beginning to get them back with the educational moms? Absolutely. We are really doing quite well with uh, moms and dads that believe that they should have a role and involvement in their education. That is extremely important to Republicans and conservatives. And so we are gaining momentum in that area. But I would also say with uh, with our soccer moms and all kinds of moms and dads out there, we are getting them back because of the inflationary issues that we're seeing too. So again, everything we see at the federal level is trickling down into those local politics. I guess so. So let's talk about uh, international politics in Afghanistan. I want you to hear from uh, Colin Cowell. He talked about how many people are left behind. The Department of State uh, is in contact with 196 American citizens who are ready to depart and arrangements are being made for them to do so. Another 243 American citizens have been contacted and are not ready to depart. So those numbers, a lot more than just about 100. And we know Mm -hmm. that hundreds have left just this week. And then last week, what have you heard about a hard number of Americans and our allies left behind? 
Well, we've heard a number of different numbers coming from the State Department and from DOD, but we do know that I believe it's, it is well over 200 some cases estimated, um, over 300 Americans that are in Afghanistan and want to leave. Um, but amazingly, when I questioned Colin Call in our Armed Services Committee meeting yesterday, and he had just given us various numbers, but then when I asked him, did we leave Americans behind, he tried to deny that even after giving us the number of Americans that want to leave Afghanistan. Uh, he would not answer me directly, so I had to pivot to Lieutenant General James Mingus of the Army. He is our uh, operations chief, and he said, yes, we did leave Americans behind. Um, so it's just abundantly clear after yesterday's hearing and the classified brief that we got last week that President Biden has no viable plan for defeating our terrorist threats, and America is now a lot less safe because of this reckless withdrawal. We have Americans that need to come home, and the fact of the matter is we have nobody in Afghanistan to facilitate uh, their evacuation. Uh that is so true, and the Biden administration just doesn't want to talk about it, thinks it's going to go away. But you know this, Senator Ernst. You fight wars. You know that the reason why the attack happens on our troops in Syria by Iran is because they're mm-hmm. no longer scared of America that just took out Soleimani, more powerful than everyone except the Grand Ayatollah. They now see weakness and retraction. If they could berate, if they could hammer us, we will leave. Joe Biden's great at leaving things. He was great at leaving Iraq. We got ISIS in return. He would love to say, I'm going to take 900 guys out of Syria. Would that be the right move? No, it would not. Absolutely not. And what we have seen in Afghanistan is the perfect example. Uh, We have pulled all of our forces, all of our intelligence out of Afghanistan, and we have destabilized that region. And a number of our allies from that region, other areas, are extremely concerned because of what President Biden did. It leaves them vulnerable as well. So uh, pulling troops uh, out of Syria, out the support forces out of Iraq, that would further destabilize a region that is constantly being threatened by a very aggressive Iran. So I don't think it is the right move, but you're right. Anytime President Biden gets uncomfortable, oh, let's just pull out and let's just pretend it never happened. If we turn a blind eye, we don't have to be accountable for it. That's true. Joe Manchin is the one standing between socialism, at least temporarily until Republicans gain power, and capitalism. He's been standing strong. He just gave another interview again. Before I get your take on what's happening with the bipartisan package and the nonpartisan mm-hmm. package, here is what he said about what is going on right now. Um, cut 28. We're not doing everything today. We're not going to have a complete. This, the Senate's going to take time. You think it's going to happen today in the Senate. We're basically trying to agree to a framework, and the president's been very clear. He'll go over to the House, and he'll basically explain to the House that I have a framework, but there's still an awful lot of work to be done, and we're going to have something happen, and you have to trust. The president's given everything he has to make this happen. He's trying to meet everybody halfway, and I appreciate that because I've been through negotiations, and I can tell he has given everything he has to this. People have to respect that. 
Only thing we're asking for is vote on a piece of legislation that's already been bipartisan. I'll guarantee I'm doing in good faith. I'm meeting with people I've never had, and I really enjoy it. I've never had the opportunity to know them before. We can sit down and work something out. Give us a chance. Is Senator Manchin for real when he's pushing back on the increase on the billionaire's tax, uh, on the Clean Air Act, on expanding Medicare? Uh, everyone gets worried about getting their hopes up that he's, that he's making a stand. What do you hear? Well, I truly hope that Joe Manchin means what he says. Um, I, I do get concerned that at some point he will get so much pressure from the far-left progressives and Leader Schumer that, that he may give in. Um, but you're right. Right now, it is Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema Against the world. That put the, yes, against the world. They've really put their foot down, and that's what's stopping Leader Schumer and Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden from heading down this path of um, social socialism. Uh, if you look at the programs that are put into the reconciliation bill, what they're planning to do. It is a radical expansion of socialist welfare programs, which does not benefit our country, costs our American taxpayers trillions of dollars, and even more in the long run. So, yes, it it is the foot that's put down between socialism and capitalism, and we truly hope that they stand strong. Senator Joni Ernst, uh, it's pretty clear that the president would like to sell the farm to be but one of the cool guys in Glasgow, and it really has me concerned, especially China's not even going. Uh, they're the ones who are competing with. I'm watching the BBC yesterday. They're doing a whole, get this, coal convention, different ways to mine coal. In Germany, they're telling towns, just move someplace else. There's coal beneath your feet. I need it. And we're going to destroy being energy independent and stop fueling our power plants because we have evidently it's not green enough for this administration. I mean, do we understand that our agenda is is not in our national security interests? Yes, and this is the the sad thing about this administration. While they are preaching clean energy, clean energy, they let the worst of the worst get away with it. You know, China. Um, they encourage uh, oil production, natural gas production in other countries. Yet they shut our own down, and as a result, our our families are going to pay the heavy cost of heating their homes this winter because of this administration. We've already seen a number of uh, energy companies tell their clients, their customers out there, that they will see an increase of 50% to 100% over last year's energy costs as they're trying to keep their families warm in the dead of winter this year. That is a sad state of play, and this administration is solely responsible for that. While they're shutting down our own energy resources, they're encouraging any kind of energy resources overseas. And for President Biden to go to Glasgow and and try and project this to the world, it's laughable. Um, he is really damaging our American economy. He's hurting our families and yet allows the rest of the world, uh, primarily China and Russia, get away with uh, continuing to use coal, um, dirty petroleum products, and not moving smartly ahead. And so is it going to be embarrassing for him to leave without a deal? Here's the National Security Advisor uh, who's got some baggage of his own, Jake Sullivan, cut 12. 
I think you've got a sophisticated set of world leaders who understand politics in their own country and understand American democracy and recognize that working through a complex, far-reaching negotiation on some of the largest investments in modern memory in the United States, that that takes time. And so I don't think that world leaders will look at this as a binary issue. Is it done? Is it not done? They'll say, is President Biden on track to deliver on what he said uh, he's going to deliver? And we believe one way or the other he will be on track to do that. He's worried about our credibility. Mm-hmm. I think these other sophisticated world leaders will be laughing at President Biden. Um, they know that he's locking down our our energy sources, our critical natural resources, and allowing them to move ahead with whatever benefits their own citizens. Um, so, yes, the world leaders are sophisticated, and they look at us and they say, what a joke is America when we're not utilizing our own domestically developed energy sources. Senator Thanks so much. Keep fighting. You betcha. Thanks, Brian. You got it. When we come back, uh, Martha McCallum will join us as well as take your calls. 1-866-408-7669. Merrick Garland is now meeting in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee. Republicans giving them real questions. Senator Klobuchar and others are talking Donald Trump. What else is new? Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Fast as three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I called for a full investigation of the Loudoun County School Board, the, the Loudoun County School Superintendent, and the Commonwealth Attorney because they're not standing up for children's safety. They're not even standing up to get the schools open. They're not standing up for curriculum. They're not standing up for materials that are being shown to kids that parents don't want to see anymore. They won't even stand up for their safety. And this is actually turning Loudoun County our direction, but not just Loudoun County, all of Northern Virginia. You watch. We're going to do better in Northern Virginia than any Republican has done in a long time. And we just might win Loudoun County. Which is pretty amazing. You look at Virginia, it looks all red, but in the concentrated population spots, it's all blue. And what that was, Senator, excuse me, Senator, that was uh, Glenn uh, Youngkin. Glenn Youngkin, candidate. Uh, yes. He's, uh, he's, uh, he is now, well, if he, he's in Loudoun County. When he, I was interviewing him last night, and he knows he's in a county that Donald Trump won by 25 points. In Fairfax, Donald Trump, excuse me, lost by 25 points. In Fairfax, about 40. In Prince William, 27 points. Martha McCallum here now. She's doing all the election coverage. Uh, Martha, are you struck by how red Virginia looks until you look who lives where? Yeah, I mean, I think Virginia has become very much like other big, uh, like New York, for example. There's a ton of red in the upstate area of New York. And Long Island. You get these high concentrations of population in the city area, and it can pull the whole state. It's interesting to note that when you, the average across the whole country of of people who work for the government, employed by the government, is somewhere around 15%. In Virginia, it's 18.5%. Um, and probably north of that number. So you have an enormous number of people who live in Virginia who are whose salary comes from the United States government. And the growth of government that we've seen over recent years is obviously something that they approve of and that they like. And that's a very tough hurdle to get over for Republicans in Virginia these days. That's a great point. Also, isn't freedom also something that I think Yunkin is tapping into? Because with the government comes the mandates. 
And a lot of people aren't comfortable with that. And those there are parents. Now they found out yesterday the vaccine's coming for their kids. Yeah. Which might be a great thing, you know, I, but they want to make their own decision. I, I, of course, they, they want to make their own decision, as they should. And as I've always maintained, um, it, it should be a decision between your, your family doctor and you uh, about whether or not the vaccine is right for you. It's right for most people. It's right for me, my family, you know, but um, but it should be a decision between you and your doctor and not you and the government. Um it's going to be interesting to see. You know, I, I think there's a lot of Republican enthusiasm right now for a potential win in Virginia. Um, but I'm not I, I think people need to sort of wait and watch because this is Terry McAuliffe is a very powerful Democrat. We're going to see what happens. But the fact that Glenn Youngkin has come on gangbusters the way that he has. And it really goes back to that pivotal point of that moment when Terry McAuliffe stood on the debate stage and said, you know, parents really shouldn't tell the schools what they should teach. And, and Youngkin just like grabbed onto that in a very smart way because he knew it tapped into something. And one other thing I want to say about that, suburban parents, right? You know, we watch the suburbs as they floated, and we'll see where that vote goes, but I have something I want to say about that after the break. Yeah, right after the break. She's a pro. She knows the music's going to get louder and eventually cut us (laughs) off. Martha's on at three, but right now she's on with me. Don't move. I like that little poem. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Trump likes to boast the single best measure of the economy the stock market i never thought that well if that's true take a look at the stock market now we're on the move but we're on the right track we got more to do so if you're looking for someone who's going to keep your economy going and growing the man behind me is the guy to get it done extremism can come in many forms can come in the rage of a mob driven to assault driven to assault the capital it can come and a smile and a fleece vest. <laughs> so let me see. That's my takeaway. I don't think the stock market is an indication of the economy. But Donald Trump, who I don't like, said it was. And the stock market's up. Okay, so we should dismiss it. And then, of course, when you see Glenn Youngkin, you think he's going to storm the Capitol. After all, he's got a fleece vest on. For more uh, providing color commentator, I'm here to get her ready for Brett Baer <laughs> and her election coverage. Uh, please re-greet Martha McCallum, host of the story at 3. Martha, interesting little 60 minutes. I think it's speech. interesting that essentially, even though he said, you know, Trump thought that the stock market was a reflection of the economy, but I say it isn't. But he's asking you to please notice it now yeah. because it is up. And um, he's hoping that because you can't really point to too many other things. You can't point to uh, the success of the you know economy moving along gangbusters because there's a supply chain problem. And we've got an enormous inflation problem that people on both sides of the aisle are recognizing in a very big way now from Larry Summers and other former Obama um, Obama White House uh, folks who are acknowledging that this is a real problem. Jack Dorsey says it's a huge problem. Uh, you know, so it, th- this is a this is a major issue. I think you know one of the things that I really notice a lot that I was mentioning right before we went to the break is this issue of suburban voters, right? And when you go back to what they were saying in 2020 during the election, they were basically saying, you know what, I'm just tired of all the chaos and the tweets. What I want is like a calm, steady hand. I want just like common sense leadership and a calm, steady hand. But they don't feel like they got it. Mm. And that's what's happening in Virginia right now. They were looking for sort of a breather, right? 
that just just someone who had been around for a long time, who knew how things worked, who would give them sort of a moderate leadership, but they didn't get it. So now they're incensed, and then they see what's happening in their schools, and they're being told that they're racist, and they don't like that at all. So that's one of the main reasons that you're seeing this big move in, in the independent vote. But I think that, you know, that is one of the key factors. You have to go back to the reasons that people wanted a change and are they are those reasons being satisfied right when you turn to the topics does this surprise you the economy the people of virginia anyway and we think that can really be uh translated to other states the economy number one by 40 percent number uh others say education by 23 percent others say healthcare, 17 percent and taxes nine percent so the economy 40 percent how's it going how are the tax? How's inflation treating you? How are the uh, you know how is uh, how are the prices? How bad is it to walk into a supermarket and not be able to get stuff? Order presents, not have it delivered, then find out you should lower your standards and stop ordering stuff. You're being kind of selfish, and then be yelled at because maybe you might have some apprehensions about getting your medical advice from a politician that seems very angry and squinting all the time at prompters that are way too far away. So after a while, like okay, you know what exactly is going well right now, and. As we talked yesterday, you were kind enough to invite me on your show. This is all self-inflicted. You can't control a tornado. Sometimes you can't control a war and an attack. You know, the China virus, maybe how quick you can respond. But all this stuff is policies he let, let drift or ones he put into play that have blown up. Yeah, you know, I, I think about this now, I don't know, roughly $1.7, $1.8 trillion spending plan that they're trying to push through. They have an opportunity to sort of let this thing fall by the wayside because they simply can't get the right combination of ta- of approval on taxes on how to pay for it. They told everybody it wasn't going to cost anything. And they say, oh, because all of these other people are going to pay for it, the rich people. So then, you, then they come out and say, well, I don't really like this idea of taxing people on gains that they haven't realized, says okay. Christian Cinema. Um, I don't really like taxing people, the individuals or corporations, says Christian Cinema. So strip that out. Then the IRS idea, right? Well, we're just going to find people that we can, we, you know, we can audit them. We're going to just get tons of money from those audits. Yeah, that's out too. Um, I'm sorry, who's paying for this at this point? All of the alternatives seem to be seem to have shifted away in terms of who's going to pay for this. We, we had a really interesting poll that I keep going back to. 59% of Americans think that this huge Build Back Better bill will either hurt the economy or it won't help it. 59%. So if you want to get on the right side of voters, it might not be a bad time to sort of say, you know what, we're going to put this on the back burner. We're going to focus on inflation. We're going to focus on uh, what's going on at the at the ports. We're going to get the economy with the wheels turning. The move. You know, there's a million things they could be doing, right? They have a shortage of truck drivers. Bring in the military for a few weeks and see if it helps. Now, I'm not sure why President, you know, uh, actually uh, Robert Nardelli uh, texted me and said, have you ever thought about how many truck drivers we have in the National Guard? They're trained. Exactly. They can do it. And then when uh, it was brought up, uh, and brought up to the president during his town hall. He said, yes, I might oh, do that. Oh, we'll, absolutely. And the we'll next call the day, Guard. they immediately walked it back yeah, without I, an explanation. We're not going to do that. I, really? We're not going to do it? Why I don't not? understand it. You know, and, and Pete Buttigieg has the stakeholders. They all listen to each other. Where the is sta- he? Whenever they bring, when I hear stakeholders, we brought in all the stakeholders, and they all listen to each other. So that's good. We're going to check that box. We're good. But I guess some of the stakeholders didn't like the idea of the National Guard coming in and driving some stuff around for a while to alleviate this problem. Plus, you know, you're going to send more of these containers to Florida, where the governor there has said we have some open space. Send them to different places. Don't send any more to California because they can't handle what they've got there. So distribute them around the country. It seems like there are some ways to start to 
get the wheels turning here. Evidently, you can't drive a truck in California unless you, unless you could declare citizenship there or residency there. And when you do that, your taxes go through the roof. So truck drivers go, yeah, I'm not going. No, thanks. So a lot of truck drivers, we were already sixty to 80,000 drivers down, and a lot of them are not even going to California because they're not going to pay taxes. So it is their fault. Again, I love this. The supply chain is getting so bad and such a burden that the Biden administration is having the key players meet once a week. Wow. Sounds like an emergency. It sounds like a five-alarm fire. You're going to meet once a week? Fantastic. Wow. You could probably accomplish a lot. You can order some lunch, maybe stay a little after, maybe yeah. meet twice a day. This is what I'm saying. This is the listening sessions and the stakeholders who come together to discuss options. It's all these words that people know mean nothing in terms of stuff actually getting done. People are smarter than that, and they look at it and say, uh, you know, what? Well, uh, there has to be there has to be a, a more productive right. like Rahm Emanuel never let a crisis go to waste right so you've got a crisis you've got this supply chain issue jump all over it yeah you know get out there spend time there the president's at the ports right now they they've called in the national guard they're fixing this problem they're going to get your toys for Christmas they're going to get you even your the tragedy of your Peloton will be fixed and you know show action take action. Right. So one of the people that have turned on the president's economic plan programs and effort is this guy, Jason Furman, Mr. of High Class Problems. So he said the original sin was an oversized American rescue plan. Really? That is the pride of Joe Biden. He's got nothing else to hang his hat on. It contributed to both higher output, but also higher prices. Oops. So he works for President Obama. He said that Larry Summers on inflation, the spending, the printing of money that's happening at a staggering rate. He has a problem with it. He's taking on Janet Yellen with that. Elizabeth Warren's taking on the Fed director, wants a new one in there. So uh, she wants more taxes. Joe Manchin says no. Kirsten Sinema says no. Uh, uh, Bernie Sanders wants an expansion of Medicare right away. And uh, Joe Manchin says, excuse me, 2026, it runs out in 2026. Why would we do something that would put more burden on it with vision and dental might be, why don't we just be practical for a second? Well, this is exactly what, yeah. Do do you want to play something? No, no, I just, go ahead. This is exactly what I'm talking about with that sort of like calm, steady hand that, that people expected. This isn't what they expected. And when they hear Joe Manchin come out and say, gee, you know what? I'd love to give everybody all this stuff. I'd love to give pay for everyone's college education and, you know, free preschool and all of it. Um, But the problem is we can't afford it. The programs that the government already runs, like look at the stuff the government already does. They're already running out of money. So why would you give this to them to run all of these programs when they have no track record in doing them successfully? And just one other thought, you know, Terry McAuliffe's bringing in Bernie Sanders. So what does that tell you? It tells you that he feels, yeah. And it tells you that he feels like um, perhaps this is my assessment just just having covered these stories for a long time that he that he needs the progressives because he's lost a lot of the middle so he's he's going back to grab that you know that core vote in the progressive side with an appearance by Bernie Sanders in hopes that they'll get bigger turnout. Right. We'll, we'll see how this goes because you got moderates holding up the Democratic agenda. You can't even vilify Republicans. And when it comes to mandates, they want to vilify Trump supporters. But you know who is helping out uh, with the protest for Kyrie Irving of the Nets? Black Lives Matter. Because a lot that's of minorities, right. and that's a lot of minorities, interesting point. are not getting the vaccination. So he keeps swinging at Donald Trump. He's not there. He's not tweeting, and he's not running. He's not a surrogate. He doesn't. He likes Glenn Youngkin, but he understands if he asserts himself. I think for the first time for now, he understands if he asserts himself too much, uh, he will blow up any chance he has because. 
Uh, right or wrong, there's a lot of people that don't want to vote for him. Right or wrong, Glenn Youngkin can't win without Trump supporters. So he's trying to straddle that line. I want you to hear how diverse the Democrats and how different they are. So while Manchin and Cinema are pushing back on taxes, Elizabeth Warren's ignoring the president, just like she ignored Barack Obama to a degree, and say this yesterday, cut 13. The problem in America right now with billionaires is that they don't pay taxes the way everybody else does. This is our chance. Here we are. We're putting together a package to make investments. And we have a chance to say, Jeff Bezos, you and the other 700 billionaires are actually going to have to kick in some money on this. I think it's the right thing to do. Right. He is not doing anything for the economy. He, uh, Jeff Bezos. I would love to see what the write-offs are and see what's happening. But the engine and the engine of the economy are these billionaires in many respects. I was staggered to see that this generation of billionaires are the most uh, – I, I, the number of first-generation billionaires are off the charts. It's growing every year. Eighty uh, Of the charitable giving, we know about that, um, America's most charitable. But listen to this. Um the financial researchers from the Libertarian Cato Journal determined that half of the wealth in the Ford 400 are newly created in one generation. These are the people I want to learn from. And listen, if there are smart people to sit down from Price Waterhouse and are now in government, they can look at this and say, guys, this is an area of weakness. And I think it's, they are trying to get around it. But they're playing the game. And game is the, the way we all do individually on some level. If I could do a tax write-off, maybe people give to, give to charity. They want to get that tax write-off. Maybe they'll go invest something to have some type of loss on a regular basis. So if you want to look at that, but to continue to vilify people and say they're not paying anything when they're employing tens of thousands of people and going into space, I think that's a reach. Well, I you know, I, I, I see both sides of that. I, I mean, I think that um, it— is important for everybody to, you know, I think that Joe Manchin just said he's okay with a 15%, you know, corporate minimum tax for, for these. Can I ask a definition of that? Isn't it at 21%? So why would that be a problem? Well, this, this is an additional sort of base corporate tax, I think for those, for people in that, in that, in that, um, in the billionaire range. And he said, you know, I don't want to vilify people for making a lot of money, but I do think that it's, he's calling it a patriotic tax, um, and he thinks that everybody should pay it. I agree with you that they they are huge drivers of the engines of the economy, and that certainly they. I, I don't think that it sits well with people for for people in that position to pay zero. Right? Are they? Well, you know, like you just pointed out, there's a ton of creative ways to lower your tax base based on losses and based on charitable giving. And I think that they take advantage of every single possible thing that they can in that regard. So if you want to change that, you have to change the laws regarding right. the loopholes that are allowed. I was just going to talk very generally as like a pedestrian. I know you got this the business background. But for example, so Jeff Bezos is making a ton of money at Amazon. He goes, okay. I'm going to pay a ton of taxes, or I can start a space program. And that space program is going to probably be a loss for about 20 years. But at the same time, I appoint thousands of scientists. And then, you know, blue-collar workers, i got to buy a building, i got to buy a warehouse. I'm going to have people come around, and in the New Mexico, I'm going to be able to flourish that little town, and I'm creating business along the way. And I decided to take a risk to do that. You know what? I went for 15 years. I never got anybody in space. But it turns out you did in 10. And then you get these people in space. Next thing you know, people are paying big money to go 
into space. No, I'm I'm all for the is, space is, ventures. Is that, is, I think it's a great right idea, in and in fact, it's exactly what you know when, when NASA was falling on really hard times. That was that was the plan for private industry to take over some of the research that NASA was doing. So that part of the plan, I think, has worked really well, and we want to be a, a country that is on the cutting edge of space exploration. So more power to them on that. So he created some by not giving the government as uh, a some billions of dollars. He reinvested in something else they knew would be a loss in the short term. But I want you to hear what Tillman Fertitta told me yesterday. He's number 150 on the Fortune 500, 400. I believe in taxes to make our country great. Absolutely. Uh, I don't think a balance sheet billionaire's tax is the way to do it. If they do, Brian, all it's going to do is make me not build as much because I won't have the ability that creates so many more jobs. And then you're paying so many different taxes. Every employee pays payroll taxes, all your sales taxes, all the taxes they pay. It, it, it's truly a mistake. It's, it's, it's a social... Uh, way of not doing things in this country. It's the European way. Our great capitalism will slowly come to an end. So your thought on that? I, I, I heard I heard him say that to you. I thought it was a really interesting interview, and I played it yesterday for Austin Goolsby, and he goes, oh, wait, so there's a billionaire who doesn't want a billionaire tax? That's shocking. But the reasons that he gives make a lot of sense in terms of the kind of business that he's able to build and the different decisions that he would make if he had to pay under a different stra- t- tax structure, which would probably hurt a lot of people. I was only chuckling because last night I said, you know, the Houston Rockets are playing in the World Series tonight, and here's the CEO. <laughs> <laughs> and then I wrote, Oh, my head's in baseball, but of course he's a basketball owner. Martha McCallum is going to be back to exclusively tell us what's going to be on her show. You'll never hear it anyone else, where else, unless you see her in the hall. (laughs) Don't move. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everyone. Just a quick announcement. Five days and counting till the President and Freedom Fighter are out. Uh, Martha has been unable to sleep because it's getting so close. And I'm going, Martha, you got to get some rest. You have a show to do. But she does not want to hear it. Uh, and then, of course, uh, just some dates, especially with WABC. I'm going to be in New York first. I'm going to be at Publicans on Wednesday at 6 to 8. You just got to register online. You don't have to pay anything. Just COVID re- reasons. Need to know a number. And Staten Island, the Barnes & Noble in the mall. I haven't been in a mall in a while. It'll be refreshing. Then out to, um, I'll be in Atlanta and in and around Georgia area. So please just go to BrianKillMe.com. Also on stage, West Virginia. Uh, that'll be on the, on the 7th at 4 o'clock. And at night at 10 o'clock will be the special, The President of Freedom Fighter on Fox News Channel. Now, Martha, your son has a book coming out. Talk about talking someone who doesn't get any sleep. You're the, the guy who gets no sleep. We know that. You can't Congratulations on, on the, the book. Radio. It's great. Thank no, you it's so really much. Good. I've been reading it. Uh, John Mahoney and Reed uh, Gregory. Do you know him? I do. I know, I know Reed Gregory. Right. Do you know John Mahoney? I've known him since he was born. Oh, really? I do know John Mahoney. Also a great guy. All right. So together, uh, Reed wrote about his time in Notre Dame. They did. On the football team. So they wrote about the COVID year of. Uh, Notre Dame football. And, you know, if, if Notre Dame hadn't decided to play football last year, there's a pretty good argument that no college would have played football. They sort of forced the issue at a time when most of the um, most of the conferences were saying that they weren't going to play. Uh, they joined the ACC. They beat Clemson at home, which hadn't happened for a really long time. It was, and it's an amazing year on a lot of levels. There was an election happening. Amy Coney Barrett, who's a Notre Dame graduate, was being um, sworn in as a Supreme Court justice. And so it's a really interesting story told by um, two walk-on players who 
kind of live the dream of getting onto the team on their own team. Uh, great. And be a 22 and write a book is, is unbelievable. Terrific. So yeah, I look very forward, proud of them. Yeah, I look forward to talking to them. Martha, who's on your show today? So Laura Ingram is actually going to join us on our show today, and we're going to talk about uh, what's going on with the Biden administration, uh, a new documentary that she's doing about California and how extreme California has become and what, uh, what what's happening because of that. Michael Walsh is going to join us as well as we look at this China hypersonic missile and how the intelligence agencies didn't know about they, it. They call it the new Sputnik moment. Yeah, it the means, new Sputnik moment, says General Milley. Yeah. So we'll talk Oops, about that. Oops, my missile defense doesn't work. Uh, Martha, we'll look forward to seeing you three. Always great to see you. Keep it here. Thanks, Brian. Uh, the show continues see right after this. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on outkick.com forward slash watch. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.